I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Maurice O'Keefe and you're very welcome to this week's podcast. It's a tribute to Maureen Mullins, who sadly passed away recently. Maureen was a husband and a mother to one of Ireland's successful racing families. And I met Maureen at her home in 2012. I'm here in Doninga, uh, in County Kilkenny, and uh, I'm talking to Maureen Mullins. And uh, it's just lovely to be here with you. Can I start by to your own uh, upbringing? Your, your dad, what was your dad's name? He, he, Thomas Dorn, he was a farmer. He was very musical. Yeah. And he was a marvellous dancer. And he could play all the instruments... <clears throat> I remember coming home from school one time and I used to play the double bass in school and the nuns lent me um, what's the, a viola oh, yeah. and I say he had never seen one before but he kept it tuned for me all during the holidays and when I went back to school I was able to continue with the double bass in the orchestra because we were getting ready for to go to Dublin, the first school. And uh, he also could play the piano, yeah. the violin, and all the other musical instruments. It was and fascinating. So it was a very musical family then. He was. He and, was. And well, was well none of us were anything like him. We all yeah. played the piano, and yeah. uh, I learned the violin as well. But um, none of them were as good as he was. And, and then, can you remember who taught you at school? I, mean, who I do, uh, actually, who taught me um, the double bass was a sister, Mary Peter, and she was from near Graden Manor. Actually, she was about, she was in her 80s, and she lived when she was 96, and she was as clever as any young nun I ever saw. She was so marvellous, the way she used to keep it tuned and... Um, show you how to use the strings, and uh, they were very yeah. hard to keep it in tune. Were they the presentation sisters? Uh, no, they, they were the Mercy sisters. Mercy. And she had two brothers whom I knew well in Gregna Manor. They used to hunt in Gregna Manor, and um, I, their farm is certainly still there, and I knew them well, and it was, she couldn't stop talking about them, of, of her youth. And the marvellous time she used to have when she was young. But then Paddy's father became involved in the Mount Loftus Harriers with Dr O'Brien. And um, they hunted all that great Demana country. Gorse Bridge, Mount Loftus was a famous meet. And uh, great Demana and Deninge, Gorse Bridge... And sometimes on the main street in Gorn, at the gates of Gorn Castle. Um, what about yourself? Did you? Uh, what age were you when you first got on a, 
Well, I was quite, I was seven or eight actually. Um, really? Yeah. Seven or eight before. But we had, um, we had mirrors and folds at home. And uh, we used to hunt with the Montlafus Harriers. <coughs> and I have two sisters who used to go as well. To, we also rode to Great Namana to the meets there and rode back in the evening and the winter evenings. And uh, Gorn come back mm. from there as well. And I was once at, a couple of times at a meet in Clock. It's just not too far from Kilkenny, but it's a long way from here. Mm. Um, Michael, and did you go away to boarding school? Yes, uh, in Arklow. That's where I met this Sister Mary Peter. Mm. And uh, I was hopeless at Irish. And so I always had an, an extra half hour off. Uh, from the Irish class uh, and sh- we'd play the piano or teach in the piano yeah. and the violin. Really? And, yeah. and so that's what you did instead of learning Irish? Uh, instead of learning Irish. <laughs> and did you like, I mean, some people do, don't fit into boarding school. Were you happy being there? I was because um, <clears throat> one evening, just after going there, um, the nuns were allowed to bring the students out to Lord and Lady Wickler's garden and we were looking around them for an hour one evening or two hours and uh, I saw three lovely ponies in the next field so and I was admiring them and Lady Wickler said it's an awful pity there's nobody here to ride them now and uh, what she said if the nuns allowed you I would get the pony sent in every Saturday to the convent and um, you can have your own little pony club there and that's what happened while it was there and she brought in, they brought in the ponies on a Saturday and um, brought them home the evening and after a while nearly every child in the school, nearly every child was interested in some way either by grooming them or riding them or leading them and helping in a lot of ways but when I left it, that was the end of it. Before you met Paddy at all you were working in Dublin? Yes well oh, I knew him before I went to Dublin yes I did I knew him from the time we were young because um, I met him at the hunt and we'd be uh, at the Montlafs Harriers and, and they were all local you know the meets were there what were you doing in Dublin? Well, I was a secretary to a lovely man called Mr. McNally. He was president, I think, of the uh, Dunleary Yacht Club. And um, then he was representing um, an English firm called British Paints. And they used to have um, a label, red, white and blue. But they had to change that after a couple of years, to green, white and gold. Because an awful lot, even women going in to buy paint, didn't uh, take to this red, white and blue (laughs) at all. Red, white and blue, is it? The English colours, are they? um, Were you there very long? I was there for about three years. But we used to, I remember the first time I ever went to the National, my father bought me a car when I was 16. And I went into Carlo, and um, I had the red 50 
um, note, the red, it was 10 shillings that time, and it was a red note. And um, I bought my birth cert with me, and um, I drove the car in and drove the car back when I was 16. And then in 1947, when I must have been about 17 at the time, um, I drove to Dublin to the airport in the car and I left it outside as a lovely house used to be there. I think it was taken down the last couple of years and um, a lovely Georgian house and I left it parked outside the door there and I left a key under the mat because my sister was working in the bank in Dublin and uh, she was to pick it up that evening but when I came back it was there uh, and I drove into Dublin and as I was coming down O'Connell Street, I was stopped by a big Kerry guard. And he said, where are you going? And I said, I'm going home. Well, he said, what are you doing wrong? And so I said, I don't know. And uh, he said, now I'll keep you here, he said, until you tell me what you were doing wrong. Well, I, I said, um, must have been, I must, I'm on the wrong side of the road. I'm just driving down on the wrong side of the road. But there aren't any cars on the far side. Well, he said, it doesn't matter whether there are cars on the far side or not. But keep to your own side of the road. So that was the end of that day. But I had a great day. Um, Cahoo um, won the national that day. And it was written by an Irishman, of course, Eddie Dempsey. And um, it was the wettest day ever. And they said that he didn't go around the track, the whole track. But you couldn't see anything, only from the last two fences. That's all you could see. How did you meet yourself well, and Paddy? Well, we used to hunt with the... He used, his father was a joint master of the Mount Office Harriers. And I used to hunt with them uh, at Christmas and at Easter, well, at Easter, if there was a few days left. And I'd also go to the Kilkenny hunt. And... Um, we met there, but I knew him through his sisters before that. Where but he wasn't going out with anybody, and I wasn't really either. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> we got married in November 1954. When you came in here, you came to this house, did you? Yes, we, we came are to now. this house, yes. It was, used to be belong to the agent um, of the Ninga House, and... Um, Mrs. Crampton um, sold it to us. She, from the family, a great family in Dublin, Crampton and Company, they were very successful builders in the middle of the century, well, middle of the 19th century. Yeah, that, and, and when you came in here, you had to add your own personality to it. And So did, did, did you do it up? or? Well, we didn't. Really, is, we just put in electricity. I think that was all. It's just the same <laughs> house still. Really? And, we put in a, and you a, reared your family There's an there. Yes. And um, there were no stables here, actually, only about five uh, stables. And we started adding them on as the money came in as, we, as he was successful at the training. Yes, but was Paddy, when you married Paddy, was he, um, he took it over from his father? Yeah, that year. That Was it that year? That year, yes. And, and so now he, he was, he was out, out on his, on his own. Yeah. Yes, very much out on his own. But he could use the gallop, well, he could use the Ninge um, for, you know, 
as the crops used to decide where he could work. I mean, the most of the place where the gallop is now, that was used for corn. And, um, of course, he couldn't go in at the... Yeah. Uh, at certain times. And then, crossing the road, he used the stone park, which is another huge field. But that was always uh, fairly dry, as you can imagine from the name Stone Park. Uh, uh, when you started rearing your own family then, I mean, did you did you find that they were uh, taking an interest uh, straight away? Very uh, big interest, even from the time they were very young. And they knew every horse in the stable. Yeah. Every horse. Uh, especially Tony, he was the one. <laughs> he. I remember one day um, an owner came to see the horse, to see the their horse and um, he they said well which stable is it in and so he said oh yes it's, it's here and um, in, in the top of the yard he said he's a fellow with the uh, with the um, turned in front leg <laughs> well, he was only seven at the time and the owner's wife told me that but he that horse won several races afterwards I think seven races actually and um, so there was no doubting that they knew what they were... What they were doing, doing. even from an early stage. That's right. But I, I brought them to shows all over Ireland. I remember going to, uh, outside uh, Galway, Rath Cabin, one Sunday morning to get William qualified for Dublin. And we had to be there at 11 o'clock. And as we let down the back of the box and the the announcer said will William Mullins and John Hughes please come to the parade ring and um, so they went up saddled up went over and said can we walk the course and they said no you the the fences are all uh, numbered so they both um, went round and both of them qualified for Dublin now, William went on to Dublin with the Benjamin, but didn't win. But John Hughes did with two clear rounds. And coming out of the ring, his cap fell off and um, he got down to pick it up and he was disqualified. Oh, my goodness, yeah. But it was a big lesson for the rest of our children afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> was discipline a big thing in the family? I mean, uh, yes, he was very strict. Uh, Had he was? Yes, he was. But we used to get off every week to one or two places to uh, show jump, Tipperary, Clare, Clonmel, Wexford. We went all over the country. Uh, for show jumping and we used to have a great time and uh, he would rarely come Yeah, I mean that, that was another uh, aspect of it as well I mean where, uh, you had the, the the training the horses here and then to find time to to get involved in, in the show jumping did that lead to equestrian Sport, or I mean, did any of your sons take get involved in? They didn't get involved in anything else, I'm afraid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the three trainers. Yeah. Sandra trained for herself, yeah. and um, uh, 
Yeah. I don't know. And But it was marvellous that time. And it was a very good thing to be in. But then we we had broodmares from the very start. And because we bought... Well, from the very start we had broodmares, but there weren't anything that you'd write home about. They didn't win the Grand National or anything like that. But we bought three cheap mares for William to ride when he left, um, when he came back from school in um, Ross Cray. He was there with Tony and George. But we um, bought those cheap mares for them, for t- William to ride, because Paddy felt he couldn't ask owners who were paying, you know, fees for horse to be trained by somebody who was only 17. And um, how would they, you know, like that? So eventually he bought these three mares, but I know one of them was a Regal Star, and he won on her. And she eventually bred the Lincoln winner, Girl in Blue. And another one was uh, Parage Attack. And she, every animal she bred won, which I think is a record in itself. The mares, they were brought to what stable? Uh, can you remember? The well, we didn't, um, we didn't bring them to any stable. We, we kept them here. All the mares were kept here. I think we've had over a hundred winners and none of them were ever foaled anywhere except in Denenge until about a fortnight or three weeks ago I had a mare called Not Broke Yet and um, she was well overdue and I sent her over to Victor Connolly at the Burgage Stud and that was the first time that any mare was born outside of Denenge. And we had well over 100 winners. Um, I'll list them for you sometime. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> sometime. Uh, but listen, let's go back to uh, the, I suppose, the Mullins Empire, you know, because it is an empire now. It, it, it has been well, built up over the years. That's true. But his, um, Paddy's grandfather, James Mullins from Greater Manor, was on the original committee of Gorn Park in 1916 and he must have been a marvellous man to have the nerve to uh, go on the committee of a race course when the country was in turmoil you know yes. the black and tans all over the place and houses being um, burned Deninga wasn't uh, um, they were very lucky that it wasn't and um he eventually bought Deninge, uh, that man from Grade Manor, and they moved in in Christmas 1922. My, it's a, and so that's when it all kind of started. That's uh, where it all yeah. started. But they were, the family uh, hunted, and, and yeah. the father and the grandfather, they all hunted. It was a way of life. I mean, now they're going to matches, um, all the youngsters are going to matches, Kilkenny team, watching the Kilkenny hurling team and watching the rugby team and, and the local teams and all the rest of it. Yeah, but I, I would imagine that, uh, um, you know, it was passed then from father to son, so it, it fell into to Paddy's lap. I mean, he, yeah, well, it, was, it was there for him. Yes, but he, he made use of it. And just as William is making use of his teaching from his father, 
That's what he says anyway. <laughs> I see in court in the paper. <laughs> uh, where, where, I mean, when you were here, did you did you take an active part yourself in, in the running of the... the yes, the well, I did all the um, broodmare mating, uh, and I brought them to the studs. And I remember going with the dam of Hurry Harriet up to Newbridge, um, and I went on my own up to the sire, which was Yerry Junior, which means Harry spelled backwards. And I went back next day, and she only had one service, and the result was Hurry Harriet, who won the champion stakes in '73. And they also went with uh, Regal Star, and she bred Girl in Blue, the one, the Lincoln. And uh, um, most of the time, because he was very busy with, you know, can imagine yeah, uh, with all the horses and training. Although we never had more than forty-five horses in training. But we'd always have two or three yearlings, three or four, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds. We'd have. And were they all? Were they owned by the family? Or yes, all owned by. Okay, and yes. th- there was no other person's no. horse that that was trained here. I mean, did there were lo- um, lots of we had. Um, very good owners, marvellous owners. Who, who were the owners who actually uh, left their well, horses here for training? Well, um, oh, in training they were all left here because there was no horse boxes or anything like that mm. then, no gallops anywhere. Um, the most successful one was um, that came to us was Mr. Hall there from um, Newton Barry House. They still have a stud there. And uh, the first two runners he he sent to us, they were uh, fourth in the Derby at the Curra, which was a, a great mm. achievement. And then we had Lady Bing had uh, Council Cottage, which was one of our first winners at Cheltenham. And she uh, sent all her horses here, Volcott and Vol, uh, Volcott, Nescott, and Painter's Cottage, um, there's a lot of them. And then, um, I'm just trying to think of the big winners. Mr. Nicholson had uh, Volpine that won the Grand National. He was um, test, he was sold to an English owner to go to training with Mr. Draper and he failed the vet they said he was wrong of his wind. But then he came here, that happened as a three-year-old, and he came here to be trained. And he won a point-to-point up in the Midlands, and I'm sure it was ridden by Helen Bryce Smith, who was a very successful lady rider that time. And her mother and father used to train up there in Clonmelon. And he was a four-year-old winning the point-to-point, he won the Power Gold Cup at five, and he won the National at six. My goodness, yeah. And then we had another horse that we got from Georgie Wells. Mrs. Um, Wilson had a disagreement with him, and uh, he came here. 
because she came to live near us at the same time. And uh, he was a very, um, fairly big horse, but he was the thinnest horse you've, you've ever seen and a very narrow girth and um, never looked as if he had, if he had been fed. Yes. But he also won the power, the Independent Cup and the following year he won the National. I think he was six when he won the National. And then he went on and he won the um, Totalisator, which is now the Supreme uh, Novices or something at Cheltenham. He won the Totalisator by eight or ten lengths, ridden by John Crowley. And would there be a great rivalry then between all the different... You spoke about uh, owners, o- owners, and I mean, and, and not just the owners, but the trainers. I mean, to 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 get uh, the business, you know, was well, there was there a great? Uh, I I we didn't know, but I'm, I'm sure there was rivalry, but nothing like now, nothing like now. I would say that um, a lot of the people that owned the horses were local. Major Lambert, um, he had a lovely filly here called Black Outlook. And um, then Colonel Palmer had a, he was local as well. And he had a lovely successful filly too called Handball. And uh, who, all the local people that were breeding horses and the Brennans of Upper Grange, they had, um, they're quite near you see. And they had the winner of the um, Galway Hurdle. Yeah. And Luke had the winner of the Galway Hurdle, Luke yes, Mullins. Yeah. <laughs> but I suppose, um, uh, you know, kind of the, the organisation and, and putting everything together, because I do know that Cheltenham is always a big part of the yes, year for you, for the Mullinses. Right. Yes. So was it, was it always that way? Was Cheltenham something that it, was... Oh, yes, it was. But you wouldn't bring anything unless the, uh, it was good enough. First runner we ever had was 1965. Uh, it was ridden by Francis Flood in that four-mile race. He finished fifth. And I think there were 37 runners in that race. I'm sure there were 35 or 36 runners. And that was the first runner we had. And then we went back with um, um, Council Cottage and Herringall. And Herringall went to France then after that. And he ran in the Grand Steep, which yeah. was run yesterday in, in, in Otai. And um, he fell in the Grand Steep on the Sunday. But Stan Miller went back to ride him on the Wednesday in the Prix de Trague. And he won that very easily. Now, Stan Miller tells me it was his biggest winner ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, all this couldn't happen either without a good jockey. Uh, so who were the jockeys? Well, who, who Matt Kern um, came to work here when he was about 16. And he was the road several of the, well, he rode a couple of Grand National winners. And was he a local lad? Yes, he was a local lad. His father was a jockey. Um, it's kind of before the war sort of thing, but he was excellent. And then another chap uh, was Michael Brennan from Gorse Bridge, but nobody belonged to I, uh, him, had ever been in horses, and he rode a lot of the winners. And John Crowley rode Herringall, and... Um, um, there was no... The stable jockey was Matt Kern, 
and Mickey Brennan then did the, he won the, you know, that race down in Listowel. They they won that four years running, I think, with Mick McQuaid and those horses, Mr Hall there. But they were all the riders you had that yeah. time. With. There was no sort of a real good jockey that time. Now you can. Was it the intention of uh, Paddy and his father to to keep the, keep it local, to 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 give what they could locally? Was that? Oh, was that oh certainly yeah. with employment, it was mm. certainly local. Certainly local, and none of the, the people that worked with Paddy except one, who he you can see him in the photograph where he was leading in Flash Parade in 1950. Four wasn't it on the or fifty three fifty three, he he was local and he was a very good horseman, but he just anything he knew he learned it here. He hadn't been yeah. employed with for anything with anybody. Yeah, his father was the gardener in Deninge, and he was superb. Yeah, and they used to live in Tom's Lodge now. He used to live there, and uh, the other his brother was also working with the horses in Deninge and he went on to get a very successful job with the Vigers and at Burgage Stud. He died actually a couple of weeks ago and there's an account of it in the field. Yeah. Um, could you talk to me about the uh, the responsibilities uh, and there must be lots of responsibilities when um, when it when the business is so large, you know, in in keeping it all together and ensuring that uh, uh, you know the the horses would turn up at <laughs> at the meets and so on, it, it it must be running the organization. Yes, but well, he was um, absolutely marvelous at being there on time. If we were ever late, it was my fault. Um, why was that? Then? Well, that's, that is true, and I think William has picked it up too. He, he's never in time for anything. But um, he, had, he was never rushing. Nobody ever saw him rushing or being in a hurry. But he was always at the races, and he knew the times that you had to be th- there at the races. He knew the times they were to walk out of the ring, and no matter who he met or spoke to, he knew that the time the jockey should be out and he li- always liked to have the horses in the ring um, a few minutes well before any other trainer would bring them in and um, then he, he'd be delighted to uh, speak to the jockey now he didn't say very much the jockey the most I think I ever saw him, heard him saying was to Frankie de Torre the day that he won in um, 03 he won the uh, Oaks with vintage tipple. You see, uh, Frankie was looking up at him for, I'd say, five minutes, wondering why he was go- when he was going to say all the directions he was to get. And he just said before he got up, I know she stays. And that was all he said, because I was there. I know she stays. And that is what she did. And that was all three. I mean, so he was, must have been 80-something, 80 Fiver at the time. Well, what's a normal day here? Well, uh, <coughs> he he wouldn't ride out. The horses wouldn't go out until about eight o'clock. But he'd, he'd have always, he'd have at least 10 or 11 people to ride out. But there wouldn't be anything like jockeys, uh, you know, qualified jockeys or anything like that. 
Um, but the gallop here, uh, even before we got the all-weather in 1980, it was sort of enclosed. And if they could stay on the animal going round and round, uh, they wouldn't ever, you know, they wouldn't sort of run away. And it used to work a lot up in the place where the gallop is now. And they start to go around. And even if they... We had a huge horse one time called Lock Diamond and nobody would hold him. But if he got on the start of running away, he would say to them, keep with them and they'll eventually pull up and come back to the other horses. So we had very few accidents. Touch wood. Yeah. In fact, the... the, um uh, it all seemed to run very smoothly. Was there any dips? Dips in 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 the um, over the decades. I can't remember any any now. I can't remember. I just can't remember. Maybe if I looked at his book, yeah. I might. Was see. Paddy a gambling man? No, he was not a gambling man. But I was always having. Um, doubles on the tote and uh, singles and uh, um, what do you call them um, forecasts and uh, exactors and combination exactors and uh, I had a very successful time but now I can't back a winner if I back Patrick or William that's the day that they were second or third <laughs> So you decide not to then? Well, not very much anyway, <laughs> not very much. Um, but what are your views then? I mean, there there is so much money uh, involved in the sport. Uh, so, you know, the whole the whole gambling thing, I mean... Well, he, he didn't gamble. He, he didn't gamble at all. Uh, but I would say that um, what he, was his forte, he always had horses at their peak to win certain big races uh, like four Galway hurdles, four um, four or five nationals and winners at Cheltenham and um, being leading trainer for 10 years in succession and I think he was leading trainer um, five other years as well but that time they went on the number of winners not on the money one. And um, if he sold a horse or any animals that he sold, that we sold, belonged to ourselves, the money was put back into the, the training. Was it? Yes, improving things. For instance, he was the first person that had the nuts that, um, that were made by Connolly's we were in America one time when we met people called the Knuckles Brothers and they were telling him that, um, you know, the days of oats and that sort of thing was gone. So uh, they gave him the prescription, is it, or the, for the nuts and we brought it back to Connolly's and we, there were two horses we decided they were guinea pigs. Devney Chartus belonged to my brother, and he was one, and Vulpine was the other. They were very um, 
there weren't great to feed, you know, to eat. And then they got the nuts made up in Conley's and these two horses turned inside out. And uh, from then on... Uh, so, so the feed is very important. Oh, it's yeah. very important. Yeah. But being in County Kilkenny, we have... There's enough of... The, the land, you see, is very good for horses. Yes, yeah. of course. Yes, yeah. it's a pity that there are not more people into it in Kilkenny. Mm. Uh, That's right, because you you certainly uh, have, yeah, have the, the limestone. The limestone here yeah. in, in yes, the Yes, and just across mm. the river, yeah. you have the beautiful granite. Oh, granite. The, uh, See, the beautiful houses that are all over the yeah. place. Well, there are no granite houses around here. They're all limestone or made-up stone, what is it? Yeah, yeah, and that that under... Uh, that underfoot then is, is, yes. is ideal. Well, the for water the horse. must yeah. be very important. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You must have the. You must have the wa- the limestone water, and I mean it's good for everybody. Um, their teeth and bone and everything. It's an advantage. Of course. Maybe that's why the Kilkenny team, are uh, <laughs> <laughs> running away with all the. Uh, <laughs> But you have a terrific recall. I mean, it's it's extraordinary your your recall of horses, dates, times where they raced, how successful they were, and and was that something you you you, you well, just I, pride yourself? I don't know whether you, uh, if you asked me to say my prayers that I could recall them, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which is important too. We mustn't lose sight of that, no matter what happens. But but the, the naming the horses, I mean, the, the, that in itself must be uh, a challenge. Well, he was marvellous, and he named all the horses. Uh, the only one he didn't name was a horse called Raining. And I decided I named that. And one day we were in Tralee, and Raining was out in front, and he won. And um, remember Michal O'Hare, who was a marvellous person for racing, and f- and games. He was the most successful uh, ambassador for everything. Mihala here, and he kept on saying. And it was a, su- a very sunny day, and raining is out in front, and it's still raining coming to the last fence. So I said, I'll never name another one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so did was family very important to Paddy? Oh, very. And to you. Very, very, he was very, he was always thinking about um, improving them, them and, and making sure that they behaved well. And of course he was, he didn't mind people drinking and everything, but he hated to see youngsters going over the top, if you know what I mean. And he was determined that they wouldn't. And I know that they enjoy themselves, of course they enjoy themselves. How many children altogether did you rear? Five. Sandra was the eldest girl, and then four boys. And they're all involved? In, in horses, yes. Yeah. Well, there's three of them training, and George is in horse transport. And Sandra has, um, does a lot of breeding, but she mostly has flat horses. And did, so did... Uh, the uh, the discipline of sport, the you know the flat and the hurls and the uh, 
was it mixed? I mean, was, oh yes, he, 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 he mm. I mean, even that race that he won in the curra that they were with um, Vintage Triple, the Oaks. I mean, within a week he won the Galway Plate. Yeah. Uh, so that's such a contrast. And three of the horses that he, the mares that we bought, the cheap mares for William to to ride in one of them bred the Lincoln winner yeah. and the other one bred the Cambridgeshire winner. My goodness. So yeah. uh, they were, and I think the Lincoln, that girl in blue won, there were about 28 runners that day. Are you still involved yourself as ever? Well, Thomas training now and I see the horses every day. Uh, the horses going out to work every day, but and I know when they're running and what they're going for and that sort of thing, but I'm, I prefer the breeding a, a lot now. I was always interested in it from the very beginning, um, but it's very interesting. You will see if if you ever buy a broodmare, uh, how interesting it is. And seeing the progeny, Helen, my daughter-in-law now has a lot of. Um, she and Tom have a lot of mares, and they were lucky that the week they had such a good week at Punchestown, they had three colt foals, two by stowaway, and the other by Ontario. So they they're keeping on that, and and you see the mares every day. And every morning, my goodness, and, yeah, uh, feeding them all the but time. It, it keeps you active and occupied. And of occupied, course it does. Yeah. Yes, of course it does. And do you still do you still have the the hand? You know the the command. I mean, do you, do you still hold the reins? <laughs> well, I, I <laughs> so know the, the lads that work here are marvelous, especially the fellow the fellows that uh, were here, and they know the routine, and it's marvelous to see, um, to see them yeah. because. They know it much better than I do. Yeah. They know the routine. Maureen Mullins, I am absolutely thrilled that I came down here to meet you this morning. <laughs> and thank you for talking to me. And thank you for coming. Yeah. Thank you. You've been listening to the late Maureen Mullins. My name is Maurice O'Keefe, and I look forward to bringing you another podcast next week. <laughs>